listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. I am excited to have a spiritual conversation with you for a little while. I love our our Bible studies that we're able to dive into and then share. And so let's let's get started. We're doing a series entitled uh, "Talking to People About God." That's a great a great subject to talk about. We all of us want to be a positive influence in people's lives. Uh, we all of us want to feel as though our mission given to us by God is being carried out in a manner that would be pleasing to Him. And so if you have uh, any zeal at all in your faith, you want to please your master, you want to you please your creator. Uh, one of the most important things that we do here as believers in this world, people who are in this world but not of this world, I uh, talked about that this past Sunday, uh, one of the most important thing we do is bear witness to God. We we speak of His way. We lead others to His word. We speak of God. Yet, if you talk to believers, uh, it's, it's one of the most difficult things that they struggle with: how to be effective in talking to people about God. Now, all of us are reticent for the obvious reasons. Our, a lot of times, our personalities are reticent, and perhaps we feel insecure. But beyond that, beyond the obvious things, I'm amazed by how many people don't really know how they would talk about God if they were with someone who was hungry. They've seen it done wrong so many times that they're almost just nervous of being perceived as weird. So really, the, the title of this series could have been How to Talk to People About God Without Seeming Weird. Um, that, is, that is certainly a concern that any sensitive person, any sensitive believer would have. And we know that matters. The Bible explicit, explicitly says that if we would be a soul winner, then we must be wise. So our subtitle today, the subject that we are addressing in the larger series of how to talk to people about God is addiction. How do we talk to people who are, um, they are addicted. Uh, and so we're going to do the same format we've been doing. First, we're going to look at some kind of a basic Bible overview or study on things the Bible has to say uh, that tremendously help people who will surrender themselves to it. Um, and then we're going to end at the end with some practical applications of these things. So uh, how do we know if we are addicted? Uh, how does anybody know that they are addicted? Uh, usually there is this stage of denial where we say we aren't addicted until the damage accrues in our life and it gets to a point where we recognize we're burning our own house down. We are The damage is irrefutable. Now, there's this tendency within us, as long as we can argue it away and as long as we can convince ourselves we don't have a problem, um, we will continue accruing damage. We will continue burning our house down. Uh, we will ruin relationships. We will ruin families. You understand what I'm saying. However, once a person is kind of, they've suffered enough. Lots of people haven't suffered enough and they're not ready. But once you get to that point where you've suffered enough and you are ready to face some cold, hard, painful truths about yourself, um, there is a there is a a switch almost that's that's like it's almost like it's uh, you flip a switch and you're no longer looking outside yourself for the source of your problem or as a place for blame upon others. You now have turned 
to yourself and you are accepting responsibility. Now, this is a biblical thing. The Bible teaches us this, but I, I don't have, I, I have a long way to go, so let's not get sidetracked. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 19. <clears throat> this is, I think, a biblical definition of <clears throat> addiction. Uh, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. You are a slave to whatever controls you. If we go by this definition, then addiction is much broader than <clears throat> uh, the way in which our society uh, deals with it. Because uh, anything that has a controlling influence on in our life is at risk of uh, serving as a false god, uh, serving as an idol of sorts. Um, again, there's a lot in the Bible about this. In terms of addiction, however, whenever we struggle to say no to something and we want it so bad, it, it has the power of control over us. It is an addiction. Now, the truth is there's a range of damaging addictions, some more than others. Um, some of us uh, are addicted to things that we cannot, we are under their power, um, but they're not destroying our lives. You just have to you know, have that cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm guilty. <laughs> you just, you just have to stop. I've been with preachers who, you know, stopped at seven different <laughs> or some large number uh, stores because they wanted a certain soft drink. Um, th th these aren't damaging addictions, but they, I think, they would help us to 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 humble ourselves and admit that we are often guilty of letting many things get power over us. Uh, some of us are addicted to food. Um, I struggle with sugar. Full disclosure, talk bad about me later. I struggle with sugar. Um, I, I don't want to, I, I honestly, I don't want to be the weight I am. I want to be leaner than I am. But sugar, every time I get away, it keeps pulling me back. Uh, the Bible has a lot of warnings. The Bible has a lot to say about the power of food in an individual's life and how that must be broken. That's one of the purposes of fasting. So y'all pray for me <laughs> that I'll do better on that. But anything that has power over us is a form, a type, a manifestation of control, a manifestation of addiction. However, when we talk about addictions in our society, we're talking about the types of addictions that are so damaging. They destroy everything in an individual's life. They destroy their career, they destroy their relationships, they destroy their health, you get the idea. Um, these are usually where conversations will come out uh, with someone about needing deliverance from uh, uh, addiction. So when we talk about these tremendously destructive addictions, uh, whether it's substance, a drug, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamines, these things will destroy an individual's life. And the people who are hooked on them know that, but they cannot stop doing it. Like sometimes I can't quit eating sugar. Um, I don't want to be the person who looks down my nose at a drug addict and I, I can't even stop eating. <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's some, there's, there's a right way to approach these things and there's a right way to, to deal with, with, with these things in talking to people. Um, if an individual is ready to admit they have an addiction, uh, really there, there's a, a change. Uh, like a, it's almost like you switched on a light switch. Um, until they admit, uh, as long as they're in that season of denial, um, it's very difficult to talk to them about how God can free them from addiction. You can still talk to them about God, and I encourage you to do so. Uh, you can still 
address any of the subjects that are spiritual in nature, and you still can pray, but until they admit it, the subject is not going to specifically go to that, to, to talking about addiction directly. Um, however, once I've admitted that I have an addiction or someone in our lives that we're ministering to, once they've admitted that they have an addiction, uh, what keeps them from making changes? We're going to talk about that more uh, toward the end. But one of the things that I think hinders them from turning to God for help. So we as spiritual ambassadors, we who bear the name of God, we who uh, represent a higher kingdom uh, here in this world, uh, we want them to look to God for help. That's not normally where people first go. They'll try therapy. You get the idea. But that's what, that's what we're wanting them to do. And what keeps them from turning to God? What keeps them from admitting this and asking God for help? And normally, it's some version of shame. Now, shame has a big history in Christianity, and it has a big history in uh, apostolic subset of Christianity. Um, shame uh, has a, it's, it's a human thing, and uh, it is unproductive spiritually. What is productive spiritually is conviction. Now, without taking a lot of time, <clears throat> I, I, want to, I, I want to try to quickly give you an idea. Conviction is uh, kind of regret mixed with spiritual promise. Okay, so uh, shame, I wish I wasn't, I wish I didn't, I wish I hadn't, that's shame. Regret's the same thing. I wish I had, hadn't done that. I wish I wasn't that person. I, it's the same thing. But when we use that term conviction, there is mixed with regret, reproof, rebuke. There is mixed spiritual promise. It's almost as though God says, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. I designed you for something better than that. It's not just you should be ashamed of yourself. You see, shame is um, guilt with a sense of futility. It's almost like it is identity. Shame, is this just who I am? I'm stuck. It's not mixed with promise. So that's the difference I want you to see. There's a lot of shame in religion. Whenever religion is used as hierarchical kind of uh, status-seeking behaviors where, you know, you have the the, 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 this, this group of people is kind of like a little bit better than this group of people, and this group of people has more status than this group. Whenever it's used like that, conviction is lost, and shame sinks its killing talons into us. Uh, we are level at the cross. The ground is level. Uh, there's nobody in the church that should ever believe they're slightly of more importance than anybody. God, save us from that. That is a religious, toxic culture. Um, so uh, if shame is in a religious culture, a person oftentimes cannot be vulnerable um, to that culture. They may be vulnerable to God, but they will hide from that culture. At First Church, we don't want to have that. We don't want to have that. We're going to fight it. Now, I know it's natural for us in the flesh to end up with the ways of the flesh, but we're going to fight it as much as possible. There is no one who is currently delivered, living right, dressed up on Sunday that's better than the worst alcoholic, drug addict, prostitute, criminal that is lost in spiritual rebellion right now. Um, we, we want to fight against that. Um, shame will keep people from being vulnerable to the very spiritual organization that should be holding them. 
and protecting them. Um, I'm thankful that I've I've never I, I I grew up in First Church. I, now I'm the lead pastor of church. I never remember a time where we did not, from time to time, have known, uh, shall I say, sinners or addicts that were willing to come to our altar. I never remember a time. I remember being a little kid in our church and having people confess they needed and they'd come to the altar. That that's the, that's the kind of culture we want we want to have. And so. Uh, Shame cannot be that which keeps people. Um, we cannot allow it to keep people from the very spiritual organization that God has crafted to make them stronger. Um, so, if it isn't that, if if it's if it's shame that's keeping somebody, what others may say of them, um, it's it's maybe possible that. An individual is angry at themselves, and they they are they're managing their shame by attacking themselves. And they'll often say things like how they're not worthy, and God couldn't love them. That's all code language, for they are so disgusted with themselves that they think what would make it all feel better if they could make themselves suffer. Um, this is somebody who needs to have a uh, a collision with the love of God. They need to run right into the love of God. Um, they need to fall on the rock and be broken. <laughs> they need to see that God loves them not because of their performance. God loves them because he crafted them as a father. He loves them because they are God's child, God's son, God's daughter. Um, and so we have to, we'll often find ourselves working with people once, even after they've admitted that they, they, they have a problem, they're still not being open. Uh, they're still hiding. Um, and there's complicated reasons for this. It's not just perhaps the fault of a toxic religious culture, although it could be. And it's not just the fault of uh, excess anger at oneself for the mess they've made. Um, it can also be uh, this sense of hopeless frustration because they keep relapsing. They keep relapsing. And now they are always going through this. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm a worthless, no good, terrible person. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm a worthless, no good, terrible person. This is, you guys have heard me talk about this before. It's almost like a type of, of spiritual schizophrenia. You know, you know, I'm doing good. God must love me. Look how good I'm being. I haven't had a drink for three days. Oh, I slipped. God must hate me. This is all flawed understandings of who God is and who they are. Um, and this is falling into the snare of them trying to be good enough for God. Even if they had never took a drink in their life, they're still not good enough for God. That's That misses the point of grace and that misses the understanding of the gospel in our lives. None of us are good enough. Um, and you're not gooder. <laughs> you're not gooder when you haven't drank. You're healthier, but you're not good. Okay, I'm having fun with this. You see what I'm saying? Um, we all of us need mercy. And so that person has to somehow work through this forest of self-loathing, of uh, pain, of uh, relapsing and temptation. And uh, so we begin to talk to these people and we begin to uh, point out scriptures that... Uh, we deal with the fact that they are tempted, and and uh, we quote read scriptures like John seventeen fifteen and sixteen, where 
where Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And you read that scripture to this person and um, you say, look, temptation is not simply a trap in your life. Temptation is part of your testimony. It's the Lord's will for you to get to a place of victory where you are a testimony, a daily testimony that you are choosing his way in the things of the world flesh addiction. Uh, That is what you've chosen away from. And so now they start to get a better understanding of temptation. They don't already feel like a failure once they're tempted because that's the cycle. They want to do it. Therefore, they're no good. Therefore, they give into it because that's who they are. And now they hate themselves because they did it. That's who they are. You get the idea. This cycle of addiction is so hard uh, for uh, all of us. And we'll talk about some of the reasons why um, again. So the final thing is uh, this, this idea that can God work with them while they are still an addict? Um, and we will, we will talk about that more. I want to say this to anyone. There is hope. There is hope for people that are addicted. Our churches are filled with testimonies of people who have overcome addiction, and now they are, they are living testimonies. They show how it can be, uh, can be done. And so I, I, let me just speak to anyone out there who is suffering with addiction First thing I want to say to you is God wants to help you. You are his child. Um, it's painful to deny a parent who wants to help the opportunity to being, from being part of the solution. Now, now, I know that's complicated and it's an imperfect example, but I want you to know God loves you. He loves you as you are while you are yet in the mess you're in. God, God loves you. And if you could change your mentality to from one where you're trying to be good enough to deserve his love to one where you actually you you fall back upon his love um i think that would be a healthy a very healthy step for you i also want you to know that our church has had uh, quite a number of successes um not all of them am i public about in the same manner that many of uh, we would be appropriate with your situation but our church has been very um, I don't, I don't want to overspeak because um, uh, I think it's appropriate for us to, to be humble in, in, in the success. Uh, we have seen people with tremendous addictions that it wasn't a moment. It wasn't, they, they fought their way through. And today they have been cleaned for a very long time. There's people in our church right now that it's very common for me to walk by them on a Sunday morning and we greet each other. And they say to me something like, four years today, and I know what they're talking about. Um, that could be your story. What they're saying is four years sober today. Um, it could be your story. How do we as believers who have people in our lives, friends, family, uh, people who are addicts, how do we help them? And I want to, I've kind of set it up by reviewing some of the basics from, from the earlier portion of this Bible study, but I, I want to I want to say some things now that are a little bit uh, perhaps more practical, and I, I want to speak carefully. I really, really want to speak carefully, and I don't want to just brush this over as though it's simple, and I don't want to um, just act as though m- most people don't have to overcome. Um, 
there are some people who get a miraculous deliverance, and we all want that. Um, yeah, because then we don't have to overcome. Um, we don't have to possess a promised land. God did it for us. Some people have a Jericho experience where God knocks the walls down. But in my experience, um, even those people will have other battles ahead. Um, many, many people, it's not just the deliverance that is the testimony. For most people, it is overcoming the evil one that is testimony, because that's the testimony that helps your world. That's the testimony that everyone can relate to, that testimony of becoming, through God's grace and power, an overcomer. So, uh, Addiction, as I said earlier, it's, it's much broader than just the big addictions, uh, alcohol, uh, drugs like heroin and you know, methamphetamine and crack cocaine and all that kind of stuff. It's much broader than that. Um, there is other arenas that are terribly damaged that aren't talked about it's not, uh, enough, like uh, uh, addicting, addiction to pornography. Um, in the same manner that drugs are destructive physiologically, um, pornography is destructive psychologically. Now, that isn't just my opinion. Um, there is a lot of research out there about how people who have delved too deeply into this, um, they, they have a real challenge to have a normal relationship with a real woman. Uh, they, they, they have so programmed their mind to this kind of caricature, this, this, ideal, this, this pornographic non-reality, shall we say, that when they actually do meet someone who loves them and would love them with everything they had, they don't know how to do that. Um, and so you end up with this, it's a problem. And it's not just religious people saying this. We end up with a society where um, people are uh, unable to have normal relationships um, because uh, they have developed, anyway, you get the idea. Let me, let me move along. Um, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, yes, but also pornographic addictions. And then the, the quiet um, addictions of, that are just, that, 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 that testify of the flesh. Because the flesh is one of the largest areas we are tempted in. That's why fasting has spiritual importance um, because of that. And it's almost a cliche where a religious person um, <laughs> eats in an unhealthy manner, but judges everybody who has the other problems. Um, we, we want to be honest about the fact that you can be addicted to food. Um, you can solve emotional issues with an eating disorder. Um, and so let's make sure the inside of the house is clean too. Now that we have kind of been honest about the fact that addiction has this broad, broad reality uh, in, in our lives, um, in our families, in our friends, um, let's talk about some brass tacks here. First of all, when you're trying to help an addict, you usually, for, for much of the time, uh, you will find yourself wanting addiction, uh, you will, excuse me, you will find yourself wanting deliverance for them more than they want it for themselves. You see how it's destroying their life before they do. You see how it is going to ruin everything before they do. And it's so frustration, so much frustration in your life because you see but they don't. This is the Cassandra course that you would have the gift of prophecy, but no one would believe you. <laughs> um, as a believer trying to help addicts, that is one of the most common frustrations that I have experienced. Talking to them, 
Um, I've had, I've buried, I've buried now several addicts who have OD'd. They either grew up in the church or I knew them through the church. I was either part of the funeral or I did the funeral. I've, I've buried several. Um, I've had employees who work for me when I was, uh, when I had my business uh, enterprises running. I've had uh, employees go to prison for drugs. I've had employees overdose on drugs. I've had employees lie to me. I have more than the average preacher, you know, in the little safe house hidden in his office pretending he knows the world. I've been exposed to it and I've had it close to me. Um, I, my confession is the most frustrating thing is I want deliverance for them more than they want deliverance for, uh, for themselves. Um, I cannot and you cannot choose for them. Um, God will not even choose for them because they're not programs. They're not automatons. They're entities given the gift of heaven, the gift of life. They are an individual entity. Um, they're, they're not a, you know, they're not a pet kept by God, fenced in for their own good. No, they are given life and all the responsibility that comes with it. Um, as long as they are in that place, it's almost, uh, let me, you can't want it for them. You can love them, you can be patient, and you can talk to them about God, but they will not receive uh, the spiritual help for addiction until they are, they are ready to. One of the reasons why is they're usually solving something with that addiction. The addiction is not the problem. It is a symptom of the problem. Now, again, I know uh, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to be real. I, I know I can be criticized, but I'm telling you, usually the, the addiction is a covering. It's, there's a deeper problem. Um, imagine, imagine someone you know, running in and they're saying, my arm is hurting, my arm is hurting, my arm is hurting, and they're, they're falling out. And so you, like, you know, you're like <laughs> putting a bandage on their arm, putting a sling on their arm, put, and you're just obsessed with this arm. The arm's not the problem. They're, in this example, they're having a heart attack. It's just that the heart attack manifests itself a lot of times in, in strange places where you have strange pain, and one of those would be in, in your arm. Um, I think a lot of times as church people, um, we, we make that mistake. We try to put a sling on somebody, and we say, oh, they have, their arm is hurting, and <laughs> that's just a symptom. Addictions usually are solving a problem for the addict, and we cannot pretend like that area is available for inspection and help until they open it up to us. And so uh, I have talked to a lot of addicts and I have prayed with a lot of addicts. And I have, as I said, I've, I've employed them, I've buried them, I, I've had some exposure. You can't spend as much time in the construction industry as I have without having a lot of drug exposure uh, and alcohol exposure. Um, addicts are solving something with their ad addiction. They may have a problem liking themselves. They may have a problem accepting themselves, but the moment they take that drug, drink that, they like themselves better. They accept themselves better. That's the real problem. The addiction is a symptom. Uh, when they take a drug, they may hurt less. There may be something that's in their past that causes them a low-lying anxiety that they can't even describe. But they know when it goes away. They can't put it in words, but they know when it goes away. There might be a wound that 
Uh, let's just, let's be real. It might be at some level even repressed in their mind um, where their brain is solving it um, by, by just not remembering a, a, a good piece of it. And there's this, they live with this low disorder of anxiety and anger and they can't put language to it. But when they take that drug, um, it goes away. Um, the past, the painful past, the brokenness of their upbringing, the things that were said to them at a formative moment, um, that drug suddenly blurs the, 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 the knives of those memories. And this is, this is something that we can rush past. We act like the addiction is the problem. Uh, and it, it may be, uh, you know, and it, it may very well be, but oftentimes that addiction is um, it's a cover for something else. So that's the first thing um, I wanted to talk about. Uh, number one, you may want deliverance for them more than they want it for themselves. Um, and uh, number two, uh, they may be solving something with their, with their addiction. God is going to get to that which they are trying to hide. God is going to God is going to find the broken places and heal them and then the addiction will lose its power because it was always a coping mechanism. Uh, the third thing I, I want you to be aware of when you're talking to people about God and you know they're struggling with addiction is that addiction is a layered problem. It, it's not a it's not a one layer problem. Um, this is one of the things that a lot of people who are working with addicts, they think to themselves, if that person would just get into the altar and let the Holy Ghost get a hold of them, this would be gone. Okay, maybe. <laughs> there are stories like that. And I wish that for everybody, myself included. <laughs> um, but it's a layer cake. It, there are layers to the problem of addiction. And um, addiction has physical realities to it. Your physiology is affected by addictions. Um, it has psychological realities to it. Yes, yes. And um, it has spiritual realities to it. And uh, it has relational realities to it. Who you're with, what they're doing, whether they're clean, straight, or they're using and hooked. You understand what I'm saying? There's all these re re realities in their life and it's a layer cake. And so yes, a person can come to an altar and get a have a spiritual experience, which we all need, um, but it's not just that experience. Let me, let me remind you of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's not just an experiential gift. Um, it's not just something, and that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the weaknesses of confusing the Holy Spirit with tongues. Um, I've, I've heard people that in their zeal and in their well-meaning um, style and, and what they, they acted like tongues is the Holy Spirit. Tongues is not the Holy Spirit. Tongues is a sign of the Holy Spirit. Um, and there's other signs of the Holy Spirit. It's just tongues is the one that seems to have this, this outsized mark of God's presence um, and God's commission in the book of Acts. Um, but it's a sign. The Holy Spirit also leads you into truth. And when you're studying your Bible, you probably aren't speaking in tongues. <laughs> um, it also convicts you of sin. And you, when you feel that conviction, you probably aren't speaking. And you understand what I'm saying? Um, there's this layered, these layered gifts of the Spirit. It, it leads, it convicts, it instructs, it comforts. 
So in the same manner that that addict's problem is layered, um, just an altar experience, uh, it's good. Don't get me wrong. We need it. We want it. But we cannot then think, oh, that one's done. Let's just check that one. It's, it's, it's a layered problem. That's the bad news. The good news is the Holy Spirit in our lives can deal with the whole stack of our problems. The, all the layers of our problem, the Holy Ghost in your life can speak directly to that. But we, as apostolics particularly, we have to understand that uh, layered approach to getting deliverance from addiction and talking about deliverance. Um, if the only thing you have to say is, well, you know, well, I just, let me get you in the altar. I'm telling you, you're helpful. That's good. They need that. But you're oversimplifying. Um, and they also need a mentor in their life who can talk them through the other um, spiritual solutions that are manifest in the, in the Holy Spirit. Um, whether it's uh, it's leading into truth, whether it's comforting a distressed person, whether it's convicting a sinner, this is all uh, just as spiritual as, say, what we enjoy and I love in a, in a great altar, a great altar I- experience. And so uh, the next thing, the fourth thing I want to us to be aware of when we talk to people who are at a place where they're ready to talk about addiction, um, and that is and that is this. Um, Addicts are fixing something through experience, and um, they they uh, they take a drug. They feel, you see, and that feeling is enough. Um, and so, uh, this plays in. This actually is part of the last the last point I was making. Um, this plays into the fact that we as believers need to be able to talk uh, with these people about more than just. A moment of religious experience. They're already trying to um, cope with an experience, and we have to help them see that what the what God is offering them is more than just church life. <laughs> um, I, I told you, I warned you at the beginning that this. I, I didn't want to offend anybody, but we look. If you've dealt with addicts, you know how complicated it is. We have to offer them more than just church life. Um, what do I mean by that? You know, oh, we had a great Sunday. Yes, I love a great Sunday. I want every Sunday to be a great Sunday. If only we had a pastor who could preach great every Sunday. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Um, the Spirit is more than just, you know, church community. It's more than church life. That person, if they're going to kick their addiction, they're going to have to learn how to access the presence of God in the Monday through Saturday life, not just church life, do you see? Um, and so they are they are already solving everything through experience. What they need is more than just church life, a great Sunday. They need the presence of God in their Monday. They need to learn how to spend some time with the word of the Lord, to reflect, to seek God as the highest, the most beautiful, the most glorious they can imagine because that's what they are created to worship. And they pursue God, and they consider His beauty, and they reflect upon His love. And you get the idea. Um, all addicts uh, wrestle against their lower selves. Uh, remember the story in the Bible where there's a demon, and there's many of them, and so they call themselves legion. 
I, I oftentimes feel like that all of us should call ourselves legion because we have different versions of ourselves warring against each other inside. Um, and that person will weep in an altar, and that po- moment, that, that individual would do anything to be free from drugs, but they're legion. <laughs> and when they leave and they're feeling scared and lonely and insecure and the pain has come back and the desire for a thrill has come back and the parties come back, another version of them argues with the previous version. And this is, this is their reality and, and they battle their lower selves. I did the same thing. When I eat unhealthy, I am battling my lower self because earlier that day, I said nine times, I'm going to cut down on the sugar. But then somebody makes me a banana pudding and the devil made me do it. You understand what I'm saying? This battle is going on. And so you can't just see them as liars. Are they lying? Yes. Technically, that would make them a liar, right? Yes, but it's not that simple. Why? Because the person who stood before you or sat with you and wept and sobbed and wanted to change, that was authentic. It's just that's not the only person they are. There's another as it were, version of themselves that's going to, to, to fight and wrestle with that. Um, we cannot allow the failure of an addict to destroy our love for them. Yes, they're going to lie to you. Yes, they're going to trick you. But it's complicated. The person that wept and told you they want to change, they wanted to change. It's just, it's this inner battle. And as kids like to say, the struggle is real. It is very real. And if you doubt that, how's your diet doing? So uh, finally, this is the most important thing. And I know this has gone long, but this is very complicated. I probably should have split it up into multiple. Um, This is the most important thing. We cannot ever speak to them as though once they get right, then God will begin dealing with them. If you do that, you 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 are hurting them. God does not wait until they have achieved some goodness level and then start dealing with them. While they are in their addiction, God will deal with them. We cannot make them think that the sequence goes like this. I stop doing drugs, then I get a relationship with God. No. If that is the unspoken message that you are giving or your Bible studies giving or your sermons given or your church is given, you are not biblical. You cannot want it enough for them. You can't shame them enough. You can't insult them enough. You can't, it's bigger than that. They need God to minister to them on multiple levels, not just filling a service. They have multiple levels. They need healing. They need care. They need comfort. They need, they need God. And so, they have to be encouraged to have a relationship with God now. Don't wait till you quit drinking. Start now. The biggest mistake, and I know I've said this, but I'm going to say it again, and then we're going to quit because we've got long enough. The biggest mistake I believe that we make in talking to people who are struggling with addiction is to allowing, allow them to believe to use language that subtly encourages them to believe, and I've heard it done a thousand times, subtly encourage them to believe that once their addiction ends, then their relationship with God begins. That is a lie, and that is how hell will keep them in chains. In the middle of their sin, they can begin softening toward God. 
they can begin asking for help. From the depths, I cried unto him, and he answered me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be effective in talking to people about God. I pray that you would help us in ministering to people who are going through one of the most difficult realities of, of life, and that is uh, addiction. Let us be successful in a manner that gives your name glory. Let our church be a lighthouse for those who need to take a step toward you that you might heal them, you might deliver them, you might strengthen them, you might make all things new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We love you. See you Sunday. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.